Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Matthew 25 and the other spot in Luke 22. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called You Are Here. And the purpose of this series is super simple. We just want to get into our minds and our lives this truth, that God has purposed us and God has placed us exactly where we are to execute his plans. And that's the, the central concept. You are here on this planet. It's like dropping a pin. You are located where you are with the people that God has placed into your lives intentionally by blood, by contact, by supernatural providence to serve them and meet their need. Now, the goal of the series is also simple. Just raise your awareness of that reality. And as your awareness gets raised, your radar is on, and now you start actively participating in God's kingdom plan as he brings people and you intersect with them to provide for a solution in their lives. Now, in part three, to get our heads thinking about our theme and get our heads going in the right direction, let me ask you a question. How do you really get to know a person? How do you really get to know their true character? How do you really get to know their true personality, true nature, right? Is it in public when there's a lot of people around or is it in private when no one's looking? Let me give you an example. A boss, for instance, right? He doesn't know how his field employee treats customers when he's out of the office or he's not around, so what does he do? He disguises himself as a customer, comes into his own shop for help to see. How am I gonna be treated? How will this person treat me, right? He goes undercover, right, to get an accurate picture. Now, here's why I'm sharing that with you. In the gospel, Jesus describes a future moment in time where we will stand before him and give an account for how we treated people in need that he placed in our lives. And in that moment, he's gonna share with us, right? The organized situations that he created to reveal our truest nature and our truest character, and that comes out in our truest conduct. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me right now right where we are, right? Let's bottom line it. As certain needs of others are brought into our lives by God, just know this, Jesus is present, Jesus is watching, and Jesus wants to know and is tracking how we're gonna respond when no one else is looking, right? Because the Bible reveals that my life and your life is actually one an eternal episode of undercover Christ. And we're gonna see that in Jesus's own words. So God's man who believes God's word understands that behind the faces that enter his life, behind the needs connected to the faces that enter our lives is Jesus. And that's where we're gonna start today. Uh, I asked you to hold that spot in Matthew 25. And in this passage, 
in verses 31 to 40. Uh, the big theme is the undercover Christ. Now, let me give you a little context. Uh, Jesus is talking about a future moment in time where you and I are going to stand before him, all right? And we're going to account for ourselves. And Jesus is talking about what it's going to be like in that moment and what he is using as a basis for evaluation, okay? That's enough for right now. Let's get into the actual words of Jesus. He says this to us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And there is the undercover Christ. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I have providence over your life, sovereignty over your life, and providentially, I brought people and into your life and into your, your zone of influence and created an opportunity for connection. Those on my right responded the right way, and they served the people that I brought them into connection with, and in serving those people, you are actually serving me. There is the undercover Christ, all right? Now, just for some context, the next conversation is, is directed at people who didn't respond. Those are the goats, those are the people on the left. They ask the same question. Jesus gives the same answer, unfortunately. God created those connections for them, and they didn't respond. They didn't enter into the opportunity. They didn't actively participate in meeting the needs of other people around them. Thus, they missed Jesus altogether, all right? So based on Jesus's own words, God has purposed us and placed us in relationships, both patterned relationships, family relationships, and quote-unquote random relationships, which are not random. They're sovereign people just entering in that he has brought into our lives to accomplish his plan by doing a few things that he articulates here in Matthew 25. And so let's unpack that, all right? Let's look at men on the right side of Jesus 
and on the right side of people, all right? What do we see them doing? Number one, we see them offer provision, okay? Really simple. I love how really simple this is. People need food and water, and the man of God, the sheep, the one who's led by the shepherd, right, offers food and water, right, to others who need it. Secondly, simple observation, men on the right side of Jesus and people offer presence, right? People who are isolated get visited, right? And they understand that God hates loneliness, right? An isolated sick person is someone who's in prison, a stranger, right? So men on the right side of Jesus and people offer provision, they offer presence to others who need it. Third, they offer relief to others who need it, okay? I was sick, what did that person do? They looked after them, right? Just like the Good Samaritan, right? They, they looked after someone who needed relief they couldn't supply on their own, so the man of God is the relief that God brings to their lives. Number four, men on the right side of Jesus and people offer renewal. People who are lonely, the stranger who's discouraged and depressed and isolated, the sick person who feels like they're alone in their circumstance. People get invited into homes. People have people walk through the door when they felt like, gosh, I'm all alone in this, this illness, all right? So men on the right side of Jesus and people are offering material provision, relational presence, physical relief, and emotional renewal. And what I love about this is that these are simple needs that are all around us every day, but we have to raise our awareness and we have to actively participate in God's kingdom plan right where we are. We don't have to, everywhere I find myself to be, there's a mission for me. We've been saying that in this series and it can look like you walking through the door of your house and people in need. And there's a common question that the man of God who understands, right, that he is on the right side of Jesus and people and, and offering things, he just asks a simple question. What do you need? You want to get into God's awesome kingdom plan? Just learn how to ask this question, wait around for the answer, and then engage in responding, right? What do you need? So there is God's mind, right? There's the undercover Christ. And what I love about this is that we're actually serving Jesus as we enter needs and serve people. And that's supernatural, that's mysterious, and that is all counting. And it's going to be talked about when we stand before Christ himself. That's what's so important about this series, right? The quality of your eternity starts now and how you enter into the needs of, of others. And so now let's go into just another situation with, with Jesus and the disciples. And he's really trying to reset their thinking in order to get them moving into active participation 
in the kingdom of God. And we pick up this dialogue in Luke 22. Let's read the passage, and then let's see some compare and contrast thinking between Jesus and what the disciples are exposed to as men in the world, right? It says this, Luke 22, beginning in verse 24, a dispute also rose up among them as to which of them, the disciples, was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And so we see the Son of God in the mix serving people. Now he's challenging the man of God to be in the mix serving people, and there's some compare and contrasts in thinking. Let's look at four of them, all right? So there's, number one, men in culture versus men in Christ, all right? It's their personal worldview, right? There's a way of being and believing and behaving as men in culture, right? That's one way to be, believe, and behave. Then there's men in Christ. It's different. A different way of being, a different way of believing and seeing things, a different way of behaving. And Jesus makes the contrast and he says, you're not to be like that. You're not a man in culture, you're a man in Christ. Secondly, we see the compare and contrast of people above versus people below, right? So culture versus Christ is about personal worldview. People above versus people below is about personal power. And you see how Jesus contrasts how these, these kings of the Gentiles, right? They, they lord it over, keyword over. There's an over person and an under person, and the over person is in power and has power over them who are under them. So there's over them, you see it twice, right? Kings and the Gentiles lord it over them. They exercise authority, power over them, right? And Jesus is trying to train men who follow him. And he's like, that's not how you think, all right? Don't think like culture, all right? You're in Christ. It's not above and below. Don't seek personal power so that you can be a, a, a first class person and there's everybody else is in second class, all right? Don't think like that either. The third compare contrast is the visible ones versus the invisible ones, all right? And what's Jesus talking about there? First, it was personal worldview, then personal power. Now Jesus is talking about personal social capital, okay? And that's where um, he contrasts the greatest and the youngest, all right? Now, the greatest are the visible ones, all right, in Jesus's culture. 
The more great you were, the more visible you were. The nicer clothes you had. The, the buildings were named after you. You had titles. I mean, it's not unlike today, all right? The youngest in Jesus's culture were absolutely invisible. Have you ever heard that saying that, that kids are to be seen and not heard? It's almost like they're invisible. Like in Jesus culture, the broken male thinking was, thank God I'm not a woman, thank God I'm not a kid, thank God I'm not a, a Gentile. And you see that coming out where Jesus is going, hey, this broken male culture that you're in, that's not healthy Christ-centered culture. Okay, you're in Christ, uh, you, you don't want to be like the culture, and in this culture that we live in, there's the visible ones and the invisible ones, and here's what, what God's point. Uh, when, you, when, God, when God sees your offering of your service, it doesn't matter if men see. See, in their culture, and in our culture today, we want men to see our personal social capital. That's why we, we go to great lengths on social media. That's why there's influencers and TikTok and, and all of that stuff. And there's, there's a lot of energy that is put into personal social capital. But when you're a servant of the Lord, when you do things, if God sees it, it doesn't matter if man sees it, right? You can be invisible to men and highly visible to God. And that's a word from the Lord for a lot of us watching right now. God sees you. You need to know that. The Bible says that God is not unjust to forget your work, the love that you show toward his names as you help people and continue to help them, Hebrews 6.10, right? So invisible to man, perhaps not invisible to God. That's why Jesus says, you know, the greatest will be like the youngest, all right? The way we think is, hey, we might be invisible in front of men, but we're not invisible in front of God. The fourth compare and contrast is credit from men, right, versus credit from God. So you have personal worldview, personal power, personal social status. What's credit from men versus credit from God? Well, that's your personal source of approval. Jesus says that these guys who want to be visible, who want to feel personal power, and who want to be at the apex of what cultural masculinity is, they, they have names for themselves, and they want credit for that, right? They want personal approval from men. They call themselves benefactors. They seek approval from men. So what's the contrast? We don't seek approval from men. Why? Because our credit comes from God. And so when we look at this, if you're a man of God, you're like the son of God, you're in the mix with people, right? And the, the closing line of this passage uh, is very powerful, and I want to reread it. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? So that's cultural. If I'm being served, that means I'm, I'm paying for someone to serve me. And I have the power and the position and the capital and the visibility to pay for people to serve me. Then Jesus says, but, this is a big but for God's man. I am among you as one who serves. In other words, Jesus is going, hey, I'm a king. I should be served. But what is my model and what is my message to you? I'm among people, the people that God brings into my zone, 
as one who serves. Who are you among? And how do you think? Do you think, hey, I'm a man in Christ. I can be invisible to men, but I'm highly visible to God. I don't seek approval from men, but I want approval from God. And do you just, are you among people as one who serves? If someone were to take a, a hidden camera and follow you around for a week, would you be among people? And would those people say, oh, gosh, you know, Bill, yeah, he serves people. Or Tom, you know, he serves people. Or Marty, he serves people. Put your own name in there. Would people say that about you? That that's your normal flow, that's your identity, that's your energy, that's your expression. You're a servant. Right where you are, again, we don't need to go get on a boat and look or, or travel somewhere, although we might do that at certain times. There's enough people that God has brought into connection with you that you can serve. You know, this mindset of Jesus is articulated in Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Look at what he says. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here we have a king of heaven descending to serve us. He is the servant king. And his greatness is not come from his position, but comes from his service. And that's what Jesus is saying. You want to be like me? Your greatness not, does not come from position among men. Your greatness comes from your service of people, right? Um, I call him Coach Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? the number one coach of believers, right, in the Bible. He's coaching the Corinthians. What does he say? He says, hey, though I'm free from all men. What does that mean? It means that he's not looking for, he's not looking at men to give him approval. So he's free. He's not, he's seeking the approval of, of God, not men. So he says, though I'm free from all men, I make myself a slave to every man. Wow, there's the language of Jesus. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave right? That means that you're a servant of people, right? Because you're a slave of Christ, right? It's a positive spin on a negative kind of caricature. You're free to serve. You're free to submit and serve your master, Jesus. And it's this counterintuitive thing where it's just like, I'm free from all men, but man, I'm under and submitted to my master, and I'm free in that. And now I can really serve people, right? Because I serve him. Powerful, powerful concept. So have the right awareness, right? Remember, men on the right side of Jesus and people, man, they're offering pr provision and presence and relief and renewal. They think differently, not culturally. It's okay if men don't see them and they're looking for approval from God, and man, they are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven. Now, let's go to our final passage. It's in Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 through 47, and a couple broke it up a little bit, but I want you to see a picture of the sinner 
who thinks right about themselves and serves versus the saints who get it wrong because a lot of times you can feel like, hey, you know what? I, I'm a saint, I'm religious, I, I have status, and my job is to be served. Well, in this vignette with the sinner and the saints, we're gonna see Jesus look at it a little differently, right? So let's go into the home of one of the Pharisees, little boys club, watch what happens. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So you got men reclining. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, we can only speculate, but she's living sinfully. That could mean she's a prostitute. It could mean other things, but that's a general nature. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Powerful stuff. Now, here's Jesus sensing what's going on. He, he then turns toward the woman and he said to Simon, you see this woman, I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And so Jesus, here having dinner at the boys club, right? All of these religious guys, all of these quote unquote God's men, they're kind of sitting around and they're not serving the very guest that is in their midst, the person from the outside, the person who's not a regular part of their life. And it just happens to be Jesus, right? But then there's this irreligious person who has had an encounter with Jesus that is authentic. And her experience with Jesus and her encounter with Jesus changes how she thinks about herself and how she thinks about serving him and other people. In fact, that's kind of a summary statement that I want you to write down. Write this down. My perception of myself drives my position towards the needs of others around me. My perception of myself drives my position towards the needs of others around me. You notice how Jesus summarized her. He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see that how our, our perception of our 
encounter and experience with Jesus, our perception of that, and how we personally attach to that, then shows outwardly, right? And our outward behavior reveals our inner perception of what it means to know and follow and have an encounter with Jesus. So if my perception of my experience with Jesus and his person and his work is the driver, then we have to look at a few observations that Jesus makes in order to get into this driving awareness and active participation in service, all right? So let's make some observations that Jesus makes, right? First observation, if my perception of my experience with Jesus' person and work is right, great forgiveness will result in great repentance. Write that down. Great forgiveness equals great repentance. What does that mean? My thinking about myself and about my purpose will change and my living will follow my thinking, right? I encounter Jesus. I experience great forgiveness, forgiveness I didn't deserve. And now my perception is, oh my goodness, I've been forgiven. I'm so grateful that gratitude overflows outside of us and into service. So my thinking about what my experience with Christ is changes, and then when my thinking changes, my living changes, all right? Now, what's the other? Well, Jesus observes, little forgiveness, little repentance, all right? So if my thinking and perception is, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood, and that's a good thing, you know, good thing. I got some, got some insurance, and uh, when I stand before God, you know, I can, can just say, you know, I received you as my savior. Uh, but it doesn't produce, that kind of thinking doesn't, doesn't produce a lot of repentance, right? And all repentance is, is you change your thinking. You know, it's, it, it, it's the word metanoia. It means just that you, you morphed your thinking, your thinking changed because you encountered Jesus, you encountered his forgiveness, you encountered his love. That fundamentally changes your self-perception. Hey, I'm greatly forgiven. Now I should, now I should greatly repent. And as I greatly repent, I greatly serve. But if, if you don't have that encounter, if you don't realize what Jesus has done for you, and it's, it's a small thing, then don't expect great repentance. Expect little repentance and little service. And that's my next point. Because Jesus talks about how her many sins have been forgiven. And then he says, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So there's this waterfall of encounter with Jesus, great forgiveness, now I feel great love, and then I give great love. That's my next observation. If I know that I'm loved greatly, what does that look like on the outside? I serve greatly. Write that down. People who are loved greatly serve greatly. This sinner felt greatly loved and then had to serve back. It was just a natural response, and she served Jesus back as opposed to the religious guys who who knew Jesus up here but didn't know him here. She clearly knew him here and had experienced him here inside. And then the last observation is if you love little, if your perception of yourself is that I'm loved little, then you serve little. Write that down. If my perception of myself is I'm loved little, I serve little. You know, there's 
a great Haitian pastor who I know, and he talks about how understanding what Jesus has done for you is the key. In fact, when he preaches and he's making a point, like God's word is making very clearly through this gospel story. And you can see and sense that, boy, they're not getting it. You know what he will say? He'll say, I don't think you understand what Jesus has done for you. Because if you understood what Jesus has done for you, your worship would be different. Your attitude would be different. Your gratitude would be different. Your service would be different. Because it is, there's no such thing as an authentic encounter with Jesus and little repentance and little service. They just don't go together. But when you have an authentic encounter with Jesus and you're, you, you understand what Jesus has done for you, like the sinful woman, man, it just her gratitude overflowed and her worship overflowed and her service overflowed. And that's really what I want you to see. You're right where you are to connect with the people and serve the people that God has put directly into your life right now. But your perception of yourself and your experience with Jesus, all right, the quality of that is going to make or break how you serve those God brings into your life. So how do you think about yourself? Are you a saint who just needs a little of Jesus? Or are you a sinner who didn't deserve any forgiveness or love of God, but you got it anyway, and it overwhelms you? You see, that's, that's why the sinner defeated the saints in this little vignette. And so what's God saying okay, to, to the boys' club? that are you know, reclined at the table, staying seated and not serving Jesus and not serving people. God says, stop reclining, man of God, and start repenting and serving. Understand what Jesus has done for you and let that change the way you think and as you change the way you think and see yourself, let it change the way you live and the way you relate, and the way you serve other people right where you are. You know, the Bible talks about this, this supernatural and powerful transaction that when, when someone understands who Jesus is and what he did for them and how it applies to them and what it accomplishes for them, something happens, right? And, but there's, there's a variety of responses talks about that in Romans 2, 4. It says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know, when someone's kind to you and you don't deserve it, that should change your response to that person. It should also change your response to other people. It's called reciprocity. You should be kind back and you should forgive back and you should love back and you should serve back. You should be grateful 
And that gratitude should spill out of your life into service for other people. So how are we doing? How are we doing with that man of God? God is, God is speaking. And you know, you are here. Just imagine a pin dropping on the globe of earth. This is where you are. God has placed you. God has purposed you in people's lives to offer provision, to offer presence, to offer relief, to offer renewal, right? You're not in culture. That's not where you belong. Jesus has plucked you out of the world. If you were of the world, he would tell you, but as it is, you are not of the world. You are in Christ. And it's okay that who you serve and how you serve and what you do to execute God's plan with the people he's brought into your life is invisible to men because it's visible to God. So we got to get our heads right about who Jesus is, what he did for us, and how we should respond. You know, if we have no real feelings about what Jesus is, there'll be no response. If there'll be, if there's some feelings, yeah, you know, that's a good thing, some feelings about what Jesus did, maybe I'll sing a song about it. There'll be some response, but if we have a lot of feeling and a lot of understanding about what Jesus did for us, his kindness toward us, it's going to be an all-out response. And that is what the world needs right now in this cultural moment. It needs men of God who have had an encounter with Jesus. Their perception of themselves has changed. They are in a spirit of gratitude and repentance and reflection. And now we're going to go and fight to serve the people around us, not asking for anything in return, but out of gratitude to the one who paid it all for us. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, men. It's time to get in the arena and start serving the people around you. All right, let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for that fearless woman. She's a fearless worshiper and a fearless, fearless servant of the Lord Jesus. And I thank you that we're talking about her right now because she put the boys club to shame. Jesus acknowledged her. And her story is getting told today as an object lesson for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Can't wait to meet that woman one day when I get to you. But between now and then, I want to serve you. And I know the men listening to the sound of my voice want to serve you. And so help them to keep it simple. They're forgiven and they're loved. And because they're forgiven and loved, they forgive and love and serve and uh, help them to see themselves the way you see them and uh, remind them today of how greatly forgiven and how greatly loved they are so that they can repent greatly and serve greatly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Um, if you're with us for the first time, welcome. Uh, if you have been joining us every Thursday for the Men's Global Livestream, just click share, let your friends know this is a community of thousands of men. And can I just say, God is preparing us for moments in the days and months ahead to rise together, and we'll keep you posted here at Everyman. God bless.